The Response Source Journalist Inquiry Service connects you, the journalist, with PRs and organisations to secure expert comment, case studies and information for independent editorial, free of charge. Response Source puts you in touch with experts and PR contacts across all sectors, saving you hours of research and helping you meet your deadlines. Hello and welcome to Freelancing for Journalists, the podcast that tells you everything you need to know about working for yourself. I'm Lily Cantor, a freelance money, health and lifestyle journalist. And I'm Emma Wilkinson, a freelance journalist specialising in health and medicine. So Emma, do you know, it is almost a year since our podcast first came out. I know, happy birthday to us. Uh, (laughs) It's so weird to think about though. I mean, apart from the fact that this has been an absolutely bonkers year and not and we've kind of had to adapt completely the whole way along a year ago we were in the radio studio at Sheffield Hallam recording our little package of six episodes and that was all it was gonna be yeah Yeah. I know and now we're on zoom constantly um but actually for the podcast it's been really great It's, it's really opened up what we've been able to do and the guests that we've been able to have um quite a few international guests now so that's been really great yeah it's been good it's been good we've got the hang of it I think hopefully uh Lily I know that you love a good stat so give me your favorite detail from the podcast podcast analytic <laughs> yeah I'm always looking at the analytics I really like them um yeah so we've got listeners in 93 countries would you believe it Um, including one listener in St. Martin, which I had to look up. Um, Apparently it's um, in the Caribbean. It's a country that belongs to the Netherlands. Um, It's one of those tiny little islands. I bet it's gorgeous. Anyway, we've got one little listener there. Um, Well, there might not be little, but anyway, one listener there. Um, But um, in terms of cities, our most popular city is London, which probably wouldn't surprise that many people. But uh, Sheffield, is our second most popular city. So we're very happy about that because that's where Emma lives and it's my spiritual home as well. So it's very nice. So hello to all our listeners in Sheffield, but also Sheffield. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But also listeners all around the world. But anyway, right, let's move on to this week's topic, um, which is actually much more serious. And it's about dealing with trolling and online abuse. Yeah, so this is one that, we always say this because we've always had a massive list since the start but this is one that we wanted to do for um a while before we bring in our guests and our top tips shall we probably be a good um starting point to talk about our own experiences of this I guess so from my point of view I think I'm quite fortunate because I mainly write for medical publications and it's quite kind of niche audiences that I'm writing for I don't tend to get that much backlash sort of the odd tweet um, some some ranty below the line comments on articles but I don't tend to read those but I did when um, I was working at BBC News Online so I was a health reporter there for a few years I got a lot more and that's probably because your audience is just so much bigger more mainstream um, and I did and I this is a bit of a claim to fame I did once have someone write a blog about me there was an anonymous medical blogger at the time who was pretty popular at the time and he essentially called me loads of names for an article I wrote that he didn't agree with. Um, but I didn't mind the name so much. The thing I was really annoyed with was that he called me a self-styled health journalist. Like I just rocked up at the BBC one day and decided what my job was and given myself the job title. Um, and the other annoying thing was, and this always happens, isn't it, that he was accusing me of not doing my homework and getting facts wrong. But he got so many facts about me wrong um, that, you know, kind of undermining this whole argument but safe to say that you know I ignored it that kind of level of stuff happy to just ignore um another journalist who knew me found it absolutely hilarious I was getting lots of messages about that how about you Lily what, what's your experience been yeah I've been thinking about this um <laughs> and I could think of quite a few examples but actually the worst I've got is from other journalists which um <sighs> You know, it's quite um, sad in some ways, um, but yeah. So I've I've had a bit um, a story I wrote for Hold the Front Page. Um, I mean, they're the real kind of 
old school, I think, letter writing brigade there, but I, I got a lot of abuse on Hold the Front Page for an article I wrote once. Um, but also sometimes it's been really innocuous stuff. It normally is the most innocuous stuff. So on Twitter, I got into a little bit of a spat um, when I was actually defending a case study in a story. And it was a, just a really kind of gentle story about how someone saved money to buy a house. And that just turned into something very silly. Um, and again, that was another journalist that kind of was really leading that um, kind of campaign against the story for whatever reason. Um, and then I've, it's happened in Facebook where people have kind of taken your post from one group and then stuck it in another group to kind of have a go at you rather than kind of reaching out to you um, to have a discussion. You know, like the good old days when we used to talk to each other. So, yeah, there's been a few different things, but I must say it's been journalists that have been the worst. So I think we're our own worst enemy when it comes to this. <laughs> yeah, we should probably maybe, maybe there's something here about practising what we preach or something like you know um we will bring our guests in in a minute but I guess first let's do our let's do our top tips about this um so mine would be so this is something I learned at the BBC so then I had to used to get all these emails from people that had complained through the kind of generic get in touch to the BBC and they'd just farm it out to the whoever journalist had done the story and if if there was anything about the substance or the detail of the story that they were questioning, then I would respond to that. That's fine, that's kind of on the journalism. But any general attacks or abuse, automatic ignore. Any swear words in there, automatic ignore. They're not gonna get a response for that. So I would say, I mean, it's up to you if you ever wanna engage, it's, you know, your right to completely ignore. But if I was going to engage, it would only ever be on the journalism, I think, um, you know, maybe to say, yes, we did look at that and that's not what we found, or we asked for a comment and got no response, that kind of process stuff. I'd be happy to kind of, you know, talk to people about reasonably. But as soon as anybody starts any kind of abuse or name calling or any kind of call yourself a journalist nonsense, then that's it. I'm not going to engage with that. That's just, it's not worth my time. Uh, Lily, what, what's your top tip on that? Yeah, I think mine's very simple. Never read the comments. Just don't read the comments on your own stories. It's just not worth going there. Um, I don't find that they necessarily attack you personally, but they sort of, they'll attack the story or attack the people in the story and they'll just make really ill-informed comments and it's just not really worth your time. And it's only a tiny bunch of people that are doing it. Um, and, you know, there might be something valid in there. And sometimes, you know, you do find that that they do sort of balance each other out or people will um, correct other people. But but I think particularly if you're starting out and perhaps you are kind of not used to this kind of exposure, then just don't do it. Just don't read those comments. That would be my one top tip. Yeah, that's really good advice. There's one publication I write for that their below-the-line comments are just a mess and I yeah if I ever have to venture in there to maybe find some extra quotes or something it's just yeah I it's just not worth it really not <laughs> worth it okay so shall we move on to our guest today we have some two excellent guests with us today so first we have with us um J.R. Moores thanks for coming on today thanks for having me um J.R. is resident psych rock columnist for both the quietest and record collector his work has also appeared in The Wire, The Guardian, Bandcamp Daily and Vice, among many other places. And his first book about music, Electric Wizards, A Tapestry of Heavy Music from 1968 to the Present, is going to be published by Reaction Books in September, which apparently that we have that as an exclusive. I'm excited about that. Uh, he has some really interesting tales to tell about what can happen when someone doesn't like a review that you have written, which we'll get to soon. Uh, thanks for coming on, JR. And we've also got Jess Evans, freelance journalist and lecturer. Hi, Jess. Hi, thank you for having me. So Jess has written for Harper's Bazaar, BBC News, OK Magazine, Stylist, L, The Independent, Telegraph, Washington Post. I could go on and on and on. There's a long list here. And she also runs the freelance sessions, offering one-to-one -one pitching sessions and masterclasses. 
Excellent. Okay, so before we get to your experiences of trolling and online abuse, um, which I'm sure you both have many examples of, let's start with your top tips. So JR, I'm going to come to you first. What's your one bit of key advice for dealing with those negative comments or abuse online? Uh, well, <clears throat> well, we'll probably get onto this later, I expect, but, you, you know, being a white bloke from a fairly ordinary background uh, and anything that gets thrown at me, it does tend to be for what I've written, not, not for who I am or what I look like or anything like that. So I realise I'm, I'm in quite a, a privileged position in, in that respect. Um, with that in mind, I think if, if you are happy with the piece at the point at which you file it, uh, if you have an editor who knows what they're doing uh, and they're happy with the piece and happy to publish the piece, and especially if you're, if you're writing for a platform of any, any kind of repute, then um, that, that is a valid thing to exist in the world. Uh, and and no no uh, no amount of uh, Herberts on the internet can take that away from you or or have it deleted. Um, and I think you've you've got to kind of bear that in in mind the whole time, really. Yeah, that's really good advice. Is yeah yeah, and that's it. At the end of the day, isn't it? As long as your editor is happy, then kind of just let it go and let the just story go off into the world and say goodbye. <laughs> yeah. Jess, how about you? What would your tip be for someone wanting to know how to handle this? Oh, well, Lily, I completely agree with you. I think try not to read the comments. I know that's a lot easier said than done. Um, but I always think it's a little bit like, you know, when we check, we're all guilty of this, I think, you know, when we check our ex's Instagram, like it's a little bit like, what are you hoping to find? Like, what are you expecting to find? It's, you know, you're, you're probably not gonna find that picture of them where they don't look, you know, so great. Or like, you're not gonna find like a new partner of theirs who's really unattractive. You're not gonna find any of those things. And it's just a bit of um, self-inflicted emotional torture really. Um, so I think, you know, don't just like you wouldn't look at your ex's Instagram, I think, or, you know, any form of social media. I think when it comes to articles, you know, what, when you read the comments, what are you looking for? You're probably going to find really negative stuff, really nasty stuff, maybe quite personal stuff, um, or just comments that aren't going to be something along the lines of, oh, wow, this is such an amazing article. <laughs> you know, you're probably not going to find that. Um, so I think it is a bit of a choice. Um, and you have to be quite self-disciplined to say, you know what, I know that's probably not going to be a good moment for me when I scroll down and read those comments. Um, so yeah, I try, it's, yeah, like I said, it's a lot easier said than done, but I try and not even read the comments, period. Um, but I know sometimes curiosity can take over in those moments. And I think when that happens, I think it's really important after to, you know, call a friend, call your partner, call your sister, call someone who grounds you and knows you and loves you. And you can just chat and laugh about it with them. And I think it's really important to just have that bit of reality rather than, you know, someone who's such a stranger who doesn't know you at all saying these things about you. I think it's important just to kind of be able to have someone who's real, who, know, who knows you and you can laugh about it with them. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. I mean, we, we're not here as journalists to please everybody. You're not going to please everybody. And actually, you could make a very strong case for the fact that if you are pleasing everybody, you're probably not doing your job very well. So, you know, just kind of take it all with a with a pinch of salt. And um, I mean, what we should say here at this point probably is that there's a spectrum, isn't there, from a bit of negativity about the piece that you've written to uh, a full on pile on personal attacks and um, even doxing. There've been recent examples of journalists who've had to move out of their home just for doing their job. And there's lots of evidence that this is also pretty gendered with women more likely to receive abuse and specific types of misogynistic abuse as well. So we don't want to minimise how horrific that can be for those involved. And, you know, when that happens to you, we are going to discuss that. But we also want to talk about this more run of the mill general backlash that you get from just working as a journalist, which is always been there I think so 
older journalists can tell you all about letters kind of written in green ink that came to the newspaper. I'm sure Lily had those when she was working in local newspapers. But it, social media and online journalism just makes it easier for everyone to have an opinion and tell, they, tell you what they think and have that access to you. Um, JR, I think this is probably a good time to bring in. You had quite an interesting experience, I believe, after a, a review that you wrote um, that went a bit crazy on social media. I mean, it, is, it kind of happens at any time that you write a, a negative or, a, or a, a critical review. Um, I, I won't go into the reasons, but negative reviews have become such a rarity in, in music journalism um, that, that it seems like audiences can't, almost can't comprehend uh, why, why a negative review would exist or... Um, uh, you know, or why anyone would write one. Um, and so it, it always causes a reaction now. Um, but I, I feel quite strongly that, um, uh, that it's, it's uh, you know, you can't just say every, everything is brilliant all the time. You know, you, if you're writing only about the music that you love and giving everything three, uh, four or five stars out of five, um, then uh, that's that's the, that's almost the same as marketing or PR, right? And uh, and if marketing and journalism is saying the same thing, uh, then that's uh, journalism is failing in, in, to a certain extent. Um, but yes, yeah, so the, but the most recent example was uh, reviewing the third Idols album for the Quietus and giving it a bit of a kicking um you know they're a, they're a very popular band for those who don't know sort of post-punky uh, rowdy loutish band um uh very popular but they also divide people a lot as well um but i felt like the media had not really um expressed the other side of the view that much uh, at the point of which I was writing this review and I thought it was about time to to balance the scales a bit I suppose um, but not everybody uh, agreed that I should be doing that and, and they certainly didn't agree with some of the things that I said even though it was quite a I thought it was quite a humorous piece and one that shouldn't be taken too seriously. So where was that was it on social media where kind of most of that backlash happened? Yeah, the backlash, most of the backlash was on uh, Twitter and uh, there was a bit on Facebook as well. And it, you know, it was, it, you could get people saying, uh, this isn't a review. In, or, or uh, <laughs> yeah, it is a review. It's, you know, on the reviews page of the Quietus. So, you know, it could be a review that you disagree with. It could be a review that you think is dreadful, um, but it, you can't deny it's a review. <laughs> um, and, you know, you'll get people saying you can't write as well, which, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm dwelling on the things that get to me and, and annoy me, I suppose, but, you know, <laughs> fair enough, say I'm a bad writer or, or say that I'm a writer who you think stinks or that you disagree with. Um, but saying I'm not a writer or I can't write is is factually incorrect because that's my profession and that's how I make my living. So, you know, it, I am a writer and it is a review. Uh, that yeah, that's what. And I didn't you end up? Didn't you end up on a t-shirt? Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it did kick off a bit. Um, it was. Uh, this was, uh, what happened? Yeah, so it was the, the the Idols review was published. Um, Sleaford Mods, who are another band who are not a, not fans of Idols, um, retweeted the review uh, with a line I'd written uh, and a sort and the and the crying laughter emoji, and that got it got more attention. Um, then the, uh, the a Twitter spat erupted between Sleaford Mods and uh, Kenny Beats, who is a producer who worked on the album. Uh, and I'd made a little joke about him. Um, and uh, he, he, in a rather undignified manner, started um, 
taking the mickey out of Sleaford Mod's appearance and also the fact that he had loads more streams than them on Spotify or whatever. Uh, so it perpetuated a bit because of that. And then uh, lo and behold, on the Idols uh, merchandise page of their website, there was a T-shirt uh, with a line from the review uh, in big letters and a picture of a kind of uh, popular internet meme or, or video um, from the 80s. That's the short version. <laughs> <laughs> so they really took it to heart that's so yeah, funny <laughs> I mean it's quite funny in a way and I, I, and I, I, I liked it I took it as a sort of compliment you know um, but at the same time I sort of think that they should have just risen above it because if you're going to put an album out you should expect there to be you know not a, not a blanket positive coverage everywhere but it's really interesting, isn't it, how the backlash can come from so many different directions. It's not just the people reading it. It could be the subject matter or someone who's sort of associated in some kind of way. Um, but yeah, that, that's really interesting. Jess, I wonder about you. Have you kind of got any experience, first-hand experience of this as well? well nothing to that level. I would love to be on a T-shirt. <laughs> That's when you knew you'd made it, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, unfortunately, I think in this current climate, I think you're actually doing something wrong if you aren't kind of not getting, I'm not talking about getting trials to the extent of getting death threats or anything like that. That's obviously horrible. Um, but I just mean, you could say anything. You could say something as simple as, oh, I really love, you know, sunflowers. I think they're really beautiful. And you'd have some person out there who would be like, oh, I completely disagree, you know, and I know that's quite a, quite a far-fetched example, but that is the current kind of climate that we're in. You can say, you know, something really inoffensive and someone will find something. Um, so I feel like there are definitely you know, we talked before about there are negative comments and then there are more kind of trial comments which are far more extreme and unpleasant. And I don't have a problem with any negative comments, like whether it's on my articles or whether it's on Twitter. I think, you know, actually that's, it's a really healthy thing, a really good thing when I see people saying negative things. I know um, it may sound a bit funny, but I think, you know, that there's a Bible verse that I love that says, well unto you when all men speak well of you and I think not everybody is supposed to love you and not everyone is supposed to love your articles and supposed to get it you know heck I think you're doing something really wrong if everyone is loving every single thing you're putting out and um, you know someone who perhaps may be really sexist and not a great person you know you don't want them heaping loads of praise onto your articles you don't want to align with those people you don't want them to get it and to, to like what you're doing and um, so I'm fine with the negative comments. I get a lot of a lot of them on different pieces. Um, and as I guess with opinion pieces, I've wrote lots of them. And I think you know they're supposed to create conversations and discussions. And it's okay for people to disagree with you. You know that's that's debate. Um, so I think if you are writing an opinion piece, I would definitely take it as a bad sign if there aren't any negative comments underneath your article. I think people are supposed to. Um, have conversations that's the whole point of opinion journalism it's, it's supposed to spark off different opinions and people are supposed to debate um, but I have written a lot about um, class and um, people have got I guess it's more on the trolling side of things um, where people have got quite personal and, and said really unpleasant things um, but you know it, it's again I, I try not to take that to heart too much. And if someone wants to characterize you, I think that's they're doing and that's not you. Um, a little bit like when we were saying before about, you know, calling up a friend or someone that really knows you rather than, you know, Jackie who lives in the Midlands, who's just commenting on, you know, your character and she really knows nothing about you. It's just a bit of a snapshot of something that's been made into an article. Um, so I try to not take it too seriously. That was probably my only real experience of getting trolled was when I was writing a lot about class. Um, 
and funny I think as being a woman as well I think people just go right for your appearance and um, it's so funny like it's got my parents has got nothing to do with what I'm talking about and um, so I, I find that um, those comments are just the easiest to kind of shrug off it doesn't doesn't matter what, what what they think yeah I mean that you make a really good point there that um you know a lot of what we do is about generating opinion and people might have strong views on something and that's absolutely fine and you know you know start a discussion that's what you know journalism is about I've had because I've been writing about nothing but COVID-19 you sometimes on social media I'm just posting news stories you attract some conspiracy theorists or haven't you looked into this you know (laughs) you're all in for all a big farm and I'm like yes please give me the vaccine and you know it's just (laughs) you do attract people I just I'm not as a professional I'm not going to engage with that I'm not that's you know that's not part of my job I think one thing that we should maybe discuss is when does that go from being part of a job to crossing a line uh JR I don't know if you've got a view on that is there something when it's basically too far when it's personal attacks maybe or um I've I've not had anything too bad it's more you know uh, if I've looked at the comments or had direct uh, people tweeting me, uh, it, it might sort of uh, be something that temporarily dents your confidence. Um, I've not had much personal with the idols thing. Someone did send me a screenshot uh, of a conversation from idols uh, fan club Facebook page where they, someone was saying, let's go, let's find out where he lives uh, and play the album at full blast uh, outside his window while he's trying to sleep. Uh, I have quite bad insomnia anyway, so it probably wouldn't make any difference. Uh, and that's a, that's a lighthearted um, comment that someone's made. I presume it's a joke, but you know, the, the idea of someone uh, finding out where you lived is a little, it's also a little bit scary. Um, I've also been lucky in that we haven't had any concerts on since September when the review was published. So I haven't had to run into any uh, angry idols fans. Uh, I did know a guy called Dan Lucas who used to write for Drowned in Sound and he he wrote a zero out of 10 review of uh, BDI, uh, Liam Gallagher's post-Oasis band. And he would be wandering around minding his own business in Manchester and suddenly noticed people were pointing at him across the street um, because they'd spotted the person who had uh, bad-mouthed Liam and BDI uh, and uh, obviously that felt quite threatening for him. Um, Yeah, but for me, so far, fingers crossed, uh, it's not been too bad. Yeah, that that's really interesting. You're someone you know, though, has had that kind of experience, like out in the public. That that is scary, isn't it? And that really does, I think, cross a line. Um, and knowing kind of how to handle that. I mean, Jess, I know you've talked about trying to be disciplined and not like reading comments. Um, but I wonder if there's any kind of other techniques or systems you can put in place for kind of if there are it's not necessarily an attack on a particular story but just kind of over time sort of different people chipping away at different kind of stories and and I and I do see a lot of new journalists particularly freelance journalists who have it happen to them for the first time and really don't know how to handle it um and you've talked you know you've you've talked about talking to people that know you um but is there anything else like in terms of kind of just filtering that out if that's a practical thing or even just like a mental thing yeah absolutely I think we talk so much about all right in journalism you have to be super resilient and you have to be determined and tough and I do I do agree with those things they're things that I talk a lot about in the sessions actually I'm like you know you you haven't just got to be a good writer but you have got to you know and be you know be determined and be resilient and I I agree with that but I think this notion of just oh just toughen up and um, when it comes to this barrage of trolls comments that you're getting I think it just goes beyond being tough I mean I'm 
I, I consider myself to be quite a tough person, but I want to stay gentle and I want to stay myself. And I don't think it's about toughening up when people are giving you death threats. I think it's more than normal to let that shake you a little bit. Um, you know, I think um, even like a couple of months ago, actually, I had some trolling, not the back off. Um, an article but something that I tweeted about about not working for free and I received really um, horrible comments about my own character and things got really personal um, and I don't think I'm any less tough because those things um, you know did make a dent you know I am human you know you don't want to be normal normalize those comments and um, so what I would say to anyone particularly if you're just starting out you know don't think oh, I have to just have this super tough mentality of things just you know, you know, um, bouncing off me, like, no, you know, stay, stay true to who you are. And I think one of the best things to do in this industry is to stay gentle. And I think, you know, you don't have to just laugh off every single comment. You don't have to just, um, you know, be like, oh, that's fine that they've said that really personal thing about me. And, um, you know, it's, it's okay for those things to have an effect. So practically what I would say is, um, I find stepping away from social media in any situation like that um, is, is really key because social media at the end of the day, you know, it, it is a real, it is social reality. It's not, it's not real. Um, and I think that's, that's where things get really weird. Um, Cause I think people take Twitter so seriously and Instagram so seriously. And I think you, you have to, you have to kind of, not let it consume and I think taking a break from it coming away for a few days um is one of the best things that you can do and I say that not even just when you're facing trolls and nasty things like that but even just when you feel like it's getting a bit too much for your mental health I think just step away it's not worth it it's not worth being on Twitter um you know come, come away from it so I think if you do find yourself in a situation of where you think, oh, actually, this is really getting to me and getting me down, um, absolutely delete delete the apps for a week. It's not going to make a difference to your career or even delete the apps on your phone for one month. Again, it's not going to make a you know, grand scheme of things. It's not going to make a difference. Um, so I think really, yeah, deleting those apps on social media just for a little, just for a little moment um, and just actually living in reality rather than um, scrolling on Twitter um, I think it's sometimes the healthiest thing you can do yeah and I think the other thing is if you have been if you have experienced a massive pile on or especially if it's kind of then you're starting getting death threats and other really awful threats and this kind of we know this happens more to women as well one thing you can do is obviously report all those but there's a mental load for you, an emotional load, having to go through and do all that reporting. So I do know people who this has happened to have actually had a friend or somebody else who's kind of one step removed go through and do all that reporting from for them while they've kind of come off it. That's kind of another way. I mean, obviously, and you can just block, block, block as well, but it kind of just flagging up to social media companies when people have gone too far. And there was a recent... Um, survey for the International Centre for Journalists which kind of laid bare how awful this can be for female journalists in particular both from news website comments and social media channels and um, because that kind of gendered abuse and violent comments it's then kind of invading their private space it's stuff that's following you from work to home you know when it's on your social media and um, you know they've given some examples of people who've you know received some really horrific abuse just for campaigning on something or you know writing an article about something it makes a really start reading we'll put the link to that in our show notes but their survey found that 73 percent of participants identifying as women say they've experienced online abuse harassment threats or attacks and in some of that it had then filtered over into real life as well and um, so you know they'd kind of had abuse in in real life that they believed had kind of started or come from that online experience and um, freelance journalist and researcher Courtney Tens presented a paper at Berlin Media Convention in 2019 which argued that women are targeted online more frequently more severity than men I mean one thing that we've talked about what we as journalists can do to protect ourselves but what extent do you think social media organizations need to step up and do more I'm going to put that one to you Jess yeah it's really interesting because what Lily was saying before about 
actually sometimes it tends to be journalists who are the worst for it and I think journalists whether you know they are high up as an editor or whether they're an intern or editorial assistant wherever they are if they're attached to a publication a news outlet I think really we're in a time now where we need to be moving on from the, from where it's okay for journalists to pile on other journalists. I, I think we've seen it happen so, so many times. And I think that it's really important to keep people accountable for things that really matter. And, you know, absolutely we need to call bad behavior out. I'm, I'm all for that, but I think, you know, with, with, other, with other things, I think there are really unnecessary pylons. So I think when a journalist is attached to an outlet, I think really the outlet should be talking to their journalists and saying, you know, it's not good or professional or ethical for us to be calling out other journalists. I actually think it needs to become a bit of a new conversation in outlets because I've seen it happen so many times where journalists are the worst for it. It's not just random people, um, you know, um, you know, all, all over the world who you're just never going to see. Often it's our, it's our peers and our fellow freelancers and fellow journalists who, um, who are, you know, really bad for it. So I think what would be really helpful would be in those publications to have those conversations about let's not, let's not do this. And I don't even know how that's how that can happen. And um, because I know everyone has, you know, everyone has their own choices and everyone has, is you know, entitled to their own opinion. So I, I'm not really sure how it would happen, but I just know that it needs to stop this piling on other journalists. I, I just think we, it's, it's really bad. Um, so I think possibly if that could be a conversation within outlets um, from the top, conversation started from there, where they say, you know, let's let's encourage you to not tweet out and and pile up because it's such a mob mentality, isn't it? On places like Twitter, it becomes a little bit like Tattle, which I don't know if you're familiar with the website Tattle, but it's 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 so it's so trashy and it's really really awful. And I think it's so easy from those places to for people to make up a narrative around you, and it can be really damning. Um, so. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. It's really hard because on the one hand, we're sort of saying, you know, we, we, we talk about this sort of generation snowflake and so easily offended and people should be allowed freedom of speech. And then on, at the same time, we're sort of saying, but we all should be nice to each other. But I think the thing is, it's, it's about context, isn't it? And it's about discussion and not just like you say piling in because you disagree with someone you can you can disagree with someone but you can do it in a way that like you refer to being gentle um you know, being kind being more nuanced and sophisticated in your approach rather than making it personal and I think as freelance journalists we don't have the protection of an organization around us we don't have people in an office that we can talk to we don't have line managers that we can take issues up with so I think to a certain extent it's more difficult when you're freelance I mean JR, JR is that something that, that you recognize that do you feel more vulnerable as a freelance um I mean there are steps that edit editors might get involved anyway um, even if you are in the freelance position, I think. Um, our editor at The Quietest, John Doran's quite a feisty man and will um, uh, he won't suffer any fools, so he might turn up and, and defend you uh, and your good name uh, in, in uh, let's say, withering terms to whoever it was that might have attacked you. Um, yeah, I know what you mean, though. It's, it's a lot different from being in, in, a, in an office full of colleagues um, you know, you might just be at home on your own looking at all this bile and, and, and it really getting to you. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think the problem is just kind of uh, social, social media. I mean, it's easy to blame social media because it's obviously full of bile. Um, but I think, you know, the, when they put restrictions, when, so, when social media put restrictions on it, people find ways to get around that very easily 
Um, and it, it, you know, I don't want to defend the social media companies, but um, it, they are in quite a difficult position uh, in that pe people just easily find ways around any restrictions that are put on them. And the, 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 the problems run deeper than, than just social media. Social media or, or comments or whatever, you know, are a reflection of our society in a way. Um, and I know they, you could say they perpetuate these awful attitudes, um, but it, it runs deeper than just, um, you, you know, it's, it's too easy to kind of just blame the internet in a way. The internet is a reflection of us. Um, yeah, I mean, that brings me really nicely onto something that I wanted to talk about, which was kind of sometimes we think of this as being about lone keyboard warriors just kind of sitting there having rants at people. But there's been a few examples recently of government ministers, MPs and press officers kind of singling out a journalist on social media and orchestrating a Twitter pile on on that journalist. Um, there was Nadine White at HuffPost who had an email asking for comment put out on social media. Um, Jen Williams at the Manchester Evening News was singled out by a press officer and uh, MPs called Robin Vinter wrong for an article that she'd written for the Yorkshire Post. I mean, in every one of those occasions, their kind of editors came out in furious, um, you know, response to that and defense of their journalists, which is excellent. But it does beg this question that when those in powerful positions, in kind of government positions, in press, press officers are kind of sending a lot of abuse the journalist way and don't seem to have any compunction about doing that, it makes it seem like it's okay to do that to journalists, that, you know, it's okay to just, you know, pile on journalists and give them a good kicking and tell them they're wrong. I mean, what, what responsibility do those in power, JR, do you think, have towards those not, <laughs> just not encouraging a pile on for people doing their jobs and being journalists? Um, there's a discussion, there's other ways to have those discussions, I would argue. Yeah, I think it's... Um it's kind of inexcusable really isn't it um and, and i don't know what should i say they shouldn't be doing it they should have a, a telling off uh from their mothers they've not they've not been brought up properly um, yeah i don't yeah yeah i don't know what the answer is but it's just kind of I think, yeah, it's how do you solve the lone keyboard worry doing it when they're seeing that people in their jobs and in positions of power can just get away with it and do it and that's fine. And that's how you should be approaching when you don't agree with a journalist. That's a tricky one to answer. Jess, have you got any thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is really tricky. It is a culture, I think, um, that is becoming more and more normalized. Um, so yeah, I mean, hopefully, hope, I don't know, hopefully we're going into a slightly different phase. I don't know if I say that naively, but just think everyone is getting so sick of it. But thankfully, you know, I think journalists should, you know, journalists understand this more than most that when a story that seems so big and so, gosh, it's gone viral and it's everywhere and it's all consuming, you know, as much as you might be getting bad press for it on that particular day or that particular week we know that it does go away you know the following week there'll be something else and something new that people will be talking about and that doesn't make it any better but what I'm saying is is that you know we do understand how quickly the news moves so as much as you know these things do come up and blow up and it's so unpleasant you know it they they do they do move on really quickly i've definitely had it myself where i've thought oh my goodness are people just going to think you know i've written this article and that's just going to really you know haunt me but actually it kind of lasts for a week or so and then it it moves on not to say that that makes it okay um but you know there that you know hopefully that is a little bit of encouragement um that you know we do understand how um yeah it's but it's uh, yeah I'm kind of thinking out loud because it, it's really hard isn't it um yeah I'm going to sum up because I think that everything that we've said can be summed up by be confident that you can do that you've done your job well step away from social media when there are circumstances when it gets too much everything's going crazy just kind of step back and have that good support network in place so that you've got colleagues that you can go to 
communities that you can go to on social media or in real life where you can kind of get that support and have people going oh this happened to me and this is how I dealt with it or you can have kind of other people doing that reporting and and that side of it as well and we are gonna I think it's probably time to round up and do our listener dilemma of the week before we do that Lily have you got anything else to sum up on the dealing with online abuse yeah I mean I think it always comes back to this tricky kind of juxtaposition we're in at the moment where we're being encouraged to call out you know call out bad practice um but at the same time we're being told stop being offended by everything um and stop attacking people and it's finding the balance between all of that and communicating in a way that you know you can be critical of the content or an idea but don't attack a person personally you know perhaps it's the way in which you approach it um with yeah with that that would be my kind of summing up really okay that's good I mean we've had to do that in our Facebook group haven't we Lily kind of said look let's let's just have a debate about this we're all making really good points but let's just chat about it rather than um kind of making any personal comments so yeah let's move on to our listener dilemma of the week so this is a section of the podcast where we put your questions to our guests and fix a problem you've been having or just give our thoughts on something you've been pondering yeah so this is one from our facebook community louisa merrick white has asked, um, just wondered if anyone has any advice for freelancing along a full-time job. I'm struggling to work, study and find time to thoroughly plan and pitch good ideas. So a tricky one this, if you're, if you're trying to do lots of different things at once, um, particularly if you've got to work, you've got to study, but you're also trying to pitch. Um, I mean, I think my advice would be to perhaps prioritize so kind of not to put too much pressure on yourself but to to say right well my priority maybe today do it on a day-by-day basis my priority is I have this work I have to do I have this amount of studying I have to do and then I'm going to put aside say half an hour to do some research for a pitch um, and perhaps do it like that so you've got a kind of a systematic approach every day you're not expecting yourself um to do too much what would you add yeah to that, I mean I, I would agree with that I think sometimes when you have all these balls in the air and you're just trying to juggle everything at once and um, it can feel really really overwhelming when you're thinking about it just the thinking about it is just too much um, and this happens to me quite a lot and what I do is um lists I know I say this a lot but just write down everything that you need to do and then you can look back and go right what can I realistically do today and I always find that if I have the list there it's amazing what you can actually get through because rather than just thinking oh I've not done a pitch if you just add something on the list like research two case studies to put into this pitch and then it's on your list when you have like a spare 20 minutes you can go and you can do that and it's you've kind of got a more I think it kind of reminds you to do those little tasks that can actually feel like you're getting somewhere rather than just having these kind of big ideas in your head of and feeling like you're not getting anywhere. Um, I mean, Jess, you must get asked this quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. How would you advise? Um, What I would say is for a desk like opinion, um, whenever a client has got anything opinion-based, I always say to them, try and hold out until the weekend, if you can, if the news hook is still in in, in the window of it being timely, um, because the weekends are actually a really fantastic time to send off opinion pieces um, or pictures, I should say. Um, so if you are in that place where you're working in the week, you know, Monday to Friday, and by the evening, you know, obviously you're just so exhausted, you just want to make dinner and go to bed, watch a bit of Netflix and just kind of like unwind a little bit. And then by the time the weekend comes, you do have a little bit of time on Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings. I would say get crafting pictures. Um, you know, opinion pieces are, you know, they're, they, they're often really short and snappy as opposed to more of like a big meaty features idea. Um, so I would say, you know, prioritize time at the weekend. Um, if you can on a, on a Saturday and a Sunday morning um, and craft those ideas together because actually you're best placed at the weekend for opinion desks. Um, so that's always something, you know, when people are working, 
in the week and then like I said they don't really have anything else to do but just sleep and unwind a bit and um, I always say you know those opinion desks and um, they really do appreciate getting pitched to at the weekend and um, so that that's that's something practical. JR you're writing a book at the moment so you've obviously got this time management thing Lily and I have written a book we know that then <laughs> you've got kind of defined time to do all these different bits so have you got any kind of your top tip for how to fit everything in? Well I've got two tips and I don't know if they contradict each other but <laughs> you're um, going to cancel them out. <laughs> <laughs> the first one is routine which is, is basically what Jess was saying I think you know set aside Sunday morning or whatever it is preferably a time when you know you work best um, to do uh, the pitch or the the review or um, the but I was going to say book chapter that's ambitious bit of the book chapter um, and and just be disciplined with that uh, and then the other one which I don't know if contradicts that first one is is to is to do it when inspiration strikes if you can so if you have a, a marvelous idea you know when you're sat watching Netflix don't think, oh, I'll, I'll deal with that marvellous idea later. I'll store it, uh, you know. S stop Netflix, get something written down then. Um, and because and if, you, if you procrastinate to later, you might not have the energy uh, later. You might not even remember what the idea was. Um, same applies to, you know, even if, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe if you're at work. I, I used to work uh, part-time in bookshops, um, before going full-time freelance and I would always be you know uh, on if, if there was a quiet moment on the till I would be scribbling things down or, or leaping into the, the the store cupboard and scribbling something down um that kind of thing or into the toilet and just getting getting notes down whatever ideas potential pitches um it, you know if you can do that without being fired I would say <laughs> yeah strike while the iron's hot and yeah, don't just yeah. kind of put off doing those ideas hmm. that's really good advice okay so time to bring this episode to a close thank you so much to JR and Jess for coming on and sharing their experience and advice with us today yes and if you want to know more about us including our newsletter then head to freelancingforjournalists.com or you where you can also find out lots about uh, all the various different things that we do uh, including our journalism work experience initiative yeah, so you can follow us on Twitter, as long as you're nice to us on there, obviously, um, at Freelancing4, and you can also follow us individually. So I'm at Emma Journo. And I'm at Lily Cantor. Um, head over and join our Freelancing for Journalists Facebook community, where we're all very nice to each other, um, if you haven't already. And recently we joined Instagram, so you can find us on there as well. And if you feel like giving us a thumbs up or a review, and we don't mind if that's a critical review... Um, of the podcast then don't be shy we'd love to hear from you and um, once again big thanks to our producer Richard Wilson who sorts out any edits for us and next week we will be looking at training and qualifications so what you need or don't need to be a freelance journalist so I think that might spark some more interesting good debate I think it will so okay <laughs> bye for now everyone goodbye